Many years ago, an article appeared in the Washington Post. It featured a new church in the state of Maryland. Using market research and focus groups, this church designed weekly services which deliberately de-emphasized Jesus Christ. One of the founders of the church said this, quote, the sad fact is the name of Jesus Christ has become for many people exclusionary. So get this, using Hindu and Zen, intermingled with a few verses from the Bible and recorded music by Willie Nelson in their services, one leader summarized their mission. This is the mission of that church. It's even hard to call it a church. Quote, we're enabling people to discover God themselves, maybe through Jesus, maybe through Buddha, maybe through any number of ways. I don't have to tell you that we live in a pluralistic culture where it is commonplace to believe that there are different ways to God. The common idea is that God, however you may define him, is like on the top of a mountain and you can reach him by many different roads. The common thought is everyone will eventually get to the top So it doesn't really matter what path you choose to get there. Well, last weekend we learned that the story of God is all about the glory of God and the unfolding of the gospel. And we focused on the grand story of the Bible. And I hope that impacted you like it did me. The Bible begins with creation Genesis 1 and 2, and it doesn't take long until we're introduced to sin when Adam and Eve sinned and plunged the whole world into sin. That's the fall, and then there's shadows throughout the Old Testament, prophecies looking ahead to redemption where Jesus came and died in our place on the cross, was raised again, and the Bible ends, Genesis, uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, with restoration. Uh, this morning, Loretta Dietz, a longtime member of Edgewood, came up to me. She had this huge smile on her face. And she said, I've been able to tell the story of God's work in the Bible all week to my customers. She was just beaming. She said it was so, so helpful. And I hope you've experienced that as well. This past week, Hannah Cato, sitting in the back over there, I have her permission to share this. When Hannah was in high school, she learned an evangelistic method based on the meta-narrative, the grand story of the Bible. And Pastor Chris and I referenced this on the latest episode of Edgewood's 4G podcast, if you want to learn more. But when Hannah was in high school, she went to New York City with Spread Truth Ministries, and they did evangelism. And she was taught to utilize four questions. Perhaps you'll find these helpful as well when you're talking to people who don't yet know Jesus. Simply start with this question. How do you think the world began? How did we all get here? Question number two, what do you think went wrong? I mean, people know that there is something wrong in the world today. Question three, is there any hope? And Here you can talk about redemption. And then finally, what do you think happens when we die? The main subject of the entire Bible is Jesus Christ. 
Listen to what Jesus said about himself, John 5, 39. He's speaking to the religious guys who studied the Old Testament all the time. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. In Luke 24, 27, we read, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures concerning himself. How many of you have seen or used a red-letter Bible where the words of Jesus are in red? Now imagine in Old Testament where every reference, every prophecy, every shadow, every image, every allusion to Christ also appeared in red. One author put it like this, if such a red-letter Old Testament existed, it would glow in the dark. Dietrich Bonhoeffer remarked, it could light up a living room. Now, if you're a parent or a grandparent, I'm going to recommend a book. We featured this last weekend when we had a bookstore here. By the way, 400 books were sold last weekend, and that, that to me represents people, people who take their faith seriously and they want to grow. They say, I, I need to be resourced. I want to take my next step with Jesus. That's, that's very moving to me. So at the end of our weekend, as, the, as Aaron was packing up the bookstore, Pastor Kyle and, and Pastor Chris were talking to him, and they said, hey, could we have some of the books and feature them here even after you leave? And so over to the right of the cafe, up on the wall, there are a number of books, and you can, you can page through them. Those are samples, and then you can actually go to the cafe and purchase books that will help resource you. So here's one. It's called I See Jesus, and, and every story in here referencing an Old Testament narrative there's a shadow showing that there's a shadow of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. Highly recommend for parents and grandparents. And then we're going to be talking today about progressive Christianity. Highly recommend this book. It's called Another Gospel by Elisa Childers. That's also available out there. Our focus today is on who Jesus is. And in my preparation, I listened to a podcast by Elisa Childers. She interviewed a guy named Jason Jimenez about his new book. Check out this title, Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. By exposing the phony Christ peddled by progressives, Jimenez shows why we can trust the Jesus of the Bible. Progressive churches have fabricated a new Jesus that's so different from the real Savior <laughs> that their faith can hardly be called Christianity. Many teachers and churches now offer a version of Jesus which emphasizes friendliness and acceptance and inclusion and tolerance. And, and I thought of an illustration. In essence, many... Well, many have made Jesus into a bobblehead where he just nods at everything you do. Yeah, that's good. Yep, that's good. I approve. Friends, we see Christian leaders and pastors today deconstructing their faith 
and sliding into rank apostasy. And so we shouldn't be surprised that so many today are making or remaking Jesus into their own image. Now, lest we think these false and faulty beliefs about Jesus are just out there, I went back and looked at the Edgewood State of Theology survey again. We took this this summer, over 600 people took this survey. And friends, we need to address some of our own doctrinal deficiencies. So consider statement number eight. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now ponder that for a moment. And on the results, okay, 70% strongly disagree, but that should be a lot higher than that. Because what we're going to learn today and be reminded of is there is only one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ. Now, I listened to VOM radio yesterday. This is so exciting. So in Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran, Today, only one-third of Iranians are Muslims. There has been a movement toward Christ in that country. I don't know if you've seen, there are, are, are banners and bumper stickers that say, Muslims love Jesus. Well, not really. But here's what I would say. Former Muslims are loving Jesus as they're putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Back to the survey, 45 people either strongly agreed or agreed with this statement, and 69 individuals were unsure how to answer. So I'm praying that as a result of our time together here today, that we'll see that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, let me be quick to say, I recognize some of the questions in our survey were unclear, perhaps even confusing. But nevertheless, we must get our doctrine correct. We see this exhortation in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Some translations say, and on your doctrine. Persist in this. Go after this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and and your hearers. Jude chapter 3 or verse 3 calls us to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So fellow follower of Christ, lean in. It's time for us to contend for the faith so that we are not shaken by things we see and hear and how other people are living so we are not shaken and so that we are on ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me, church? It's time for us to settle this in here so that when God scatters us out there where we're called to live on mission, we will be firm in our faith and bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Now, scores of churches have become progressive, but we've also and are being proselytized by pluralism in our culture. This has led some to the heresy of universalism or the false belief that any religion can save you as long as you are sincere. Yeah, as long as you're sincere, you're good. It's common to hear something like this. 
All religions basically teach the same things on the big issues. They just differ on the small things. Steve Turner, in his work called The Creed, answers the question of whether all religions really do teach the same things. This is a quote from him. We believe that all religions are basically the same. They all believe in love and goodness. And then he says this. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. One author captured it well. If it is possible to be saved by any way other than Jesus, then Jesus and his death are unnecessary. If the core problem we present is anything less than sin, death, and hell, we are giving our congregations permission to become pluralists. Now, With all of that in mind, open your Bibles up to Colossians chapter 1. Feel free to use your mobile device. There are Bibles in front of you if you don't have one. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible as our gift to you. Here's the backstory. Here's what's happening in Colossae. There's a lot of false teaching going on. At its core, they are are minimizing Jesus. Many people thought Jesus was important but not essential. They had given him a place in their lives, but had not given him first place. Jesus may have been prominent to them, but he certainly was not preeminent. The word preeminent means above, superior, surpassing. The last part of verse 18 frames the passage so that in everything he might be, say it with me, preeminent, supreme, number one in our lives. Friends, we need to move away from what can Jesus do for me to this question, am I living in light of his lordship? Have I surrendered my life? To him. Settle this. We don't simply add Jesus to our lives like we download an app on our phone. Yeah, okay, I'll take a little bit of Jesus. Hope he makes me happy. Hope I do better. Hope I have less stress. No, that's not how it works. No, Jesus is Savior and He's Lord, and you and I are called to adore Him with our lives through our allegiance and through our obedience. That leads to our main idea. Make sure Jesus is preeminent in your life, not just prominent. The passage we're going to look at right now is one of the strongest in Scripture as it relates to the superiority of our Savior. If you're able to stand, I'm going to invite you to stand, and let's read these few verses together from Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You can be seated. We see four truths about Jesus in these verses. Number one, he is God. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
That word image in Greek means likeness, manifestation. It means replica. It referred to a die or a stamp which was able to make exact reproductions. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the precise copy because he is God himself. He both represents and manifests God to the world. Let me take us to John 14, 9. Jesus said this about himself. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In a parallel passage, Hebrews 1, 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Secondly, he's the unique son of God. Jesus is not only God, he is the firstborn over all creation, Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe this verse teaches Jesus was a created being and therefore not God. Actually, the phrase firstborn is most frequently translated as heir or owner. In ancient time, it meant the ranking one, the supreme one. Number three, he's the creator of all things. Most of us don't think this way because most of us think Jesus got his start in Bethlehem when he was born. Not true. Jesus is the image of God and the exalted one over all creation because he is the creator for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is not a mere man. He's the creator of all things, those things we can see and those things we cannot see. Let me take us back to the Edgewood State of Theology survey. I was unsettled by the responses given to statement number 11. It reads like this, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, surprisingly, only 48% of us strongly disagreed with that statement. But friends, we need to settle this. Jesus has always been. He's a member of the Trinity. He came to earth to die for our sins, but he has always been. He is not created. Now, let me give some grace. Perhaps people only read the first part of this statement Because he is the first and the greatest, right? And and maybe they answered accordingly. But Jesus was not created. Now let me just stay on this point for a little bit. This was a huge issue in the early church. Because this is the heresy of Arianism. And out of Arianism, that's what Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Unitarians believe about Jesus. And we need to settle this. Jesus is the creator. He was not created. Jesus existed before everything else. Let me take us to John chapter 8. Jesus is having a dialogue with the religious leaders, and they're claiming that Abraham is their father, like Abraham is our guy. And Jesus said, well, if Abraham was your father, you would be living differently, and you would believe in me if that were true. So it's contentious. And then Jesus dropped something on them that really shook them up. He said these words, John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. 
whoa. And we don't even get the woe that they would have got. So not only is he saying, I was around before Abraham was, he's saying that he is God because he said, I am. That's the answer God gave to Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses didn't want to go to the people. He's like, I don't want to go. Okay, if I go, who should I say is sending me? God answers, tell them, I am who I am is sending you. Tell them Yahweh is sending you. The Nicene Creed affirms this. Jesus was begotten, not made. So we're going to dive deeper into the doctrine of Christ. We're going to camp on the doctrine of Christ during the month of December leading up to Christmas, including his pre-existence. And I think we're going to approach Christmas in a whole nother way, in a glorious way this year. So Jesus is not only the creator, but he also provides the purpose for his creation. All things were created through him and for him. Him. The goal of all creation is to glorify Christ. Revelation 4.11, New Living Translation, says it like this, for you created everything, and it is for your pleasure that they exist and that they were created. Number four, he holds all things together. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like our country's falling apart right now? Our world? Maybe even your life today. You're like, if you only knew what's going on in my heart right now and in your mind, the kind of week you've had, the place you've been in your life, the relationships that have ruptured, the diagnoses you've received. Maybe you're just in a really hard place. You're like, I I can't hold it all together. Listen, Jesus holds all things together. And Christ is before all things, both in time and rank. He's not only the creator of the world, he's the cohesion that brings and keeps it all together. In him, everything came to be, and by him, everything continues to be. If Jesus were to remove his sustaining power, everything would dissolve into disorder. Friends, we don't have to be shaken. We don't have to be ashamed. Because Jesus upholds everything by the word of his power. Remember, there is no crisis in heaven today. He will be exalted among the nations. Now, in your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14, verse 6, and we're going to land on this one verse the rest of the message. Many of you have it memorized. That's a good thing, but don't become so familiar with the verse that it loses its impact. John 14, 6, check this out. Words of Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. There is no other plan but the person of Jesus. There's no way to get to heaven unless we go through him. So let me just say, perhaps you're already thinking, this right here is the most controversial yet fundamental claim of Christianity. Jesus alone has accomplished everything necessary for the salvation of all who believe in him. This doctrine right here separates Christianity from every other worldview and it unites 
every other doctrine within our faith. So Jesus is very inclusive in the sense that everyone is invited. Anybody can come to Jesus, no matter what they've done, no matter how they've been living. John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I will never cast out. Yeah, but hold that with this second part. His claims are extremely exclusive in that there's no other way to heaven except through him. So how, how do we mesh that in our pluralistic society like ours, which values variety and excludes exclusive truth claims? Well, though Christianity still dominates by sheer numbers, the U.S. now has a greater diversity of religious groups than any country in recorded history. To insist that Jesus is the only way, if you do that, you will be called intolerant or worse, bigoted, hateful, narrow-minded. But it's helpful to remember that the world of the biblical authors was filled with paganism and pluralism as well. So in the midst of all this doctrinal diversity, the Bible makes some rather startling claims that run countercultural to the pluralistic mantra of religious tolerance. So I'm going to have us walk through four verses, and and I'm going to encourage you, actually stronger, I'm going to exhort you to settle this today. Because for some of you, you're not sure. So we're going to go to the Scriptures, not what I'm saying, not what this church teaches, What does the Bible teach? And then you need to come to the point and like, all right, this is what the Bible teaches, therefore this is what I believe. Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, words of Jesus. Enter by the, what? Narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy, fun, pleasurable, that leads to destruction. And those who enter to that wide, through that wide gate are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is what? Hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. Acts 4.12, Peter's preaching. He boldly makes this statement. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 John 5.12, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Friends, that's just a sampling. I had eight. There are even a lot more than eight. These passages are extremely exclusive, overwhelmingly clear. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Do you believe that, church? So his statements of divine authority are incompatible You can't bring it together with the homogenizing views of religious 
pluralists. Now, let's dive more deeply into John 14, 6. We're going to look at this phrase by phrase. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I'll highlight the different words or phrases as we go through it. First of all, when Jesus uses the phrase, I am, he is once again claiming the name of Yahweh for himself. Jesus is God in human flesh. In the Gospel of John, he also said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. In Revelation, I am the alpha and omega and the resurrection and the life. Jesus claimed to be God. Muhammad didn't. Buddha didn't. Confucius didn't. No one else did the miracles he did. No one else lived a sinless life like he did. No one died the death he died as our sin substitute. And no one else has risen from the dead as promised on the third day. Notice this verse begins with the word I. Eleven times in the first six verses, of John 14, Jesus uses the personal pronoun I, me, my. Friends, we're not saved by a principle. We're not saved by a force, but by a person. Jesus did not say he knew the way, he knew the truth, he knew the life, or even that he taught these great principles. No, he described himself to be the embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. So while answering all of life's questions, Jesus doesn't offer a recipe to follow. He doesn't give us a bunch of rules or rituals. Instead, he offers a relationship with himself. His plan is wrapped up in a person. Notice next, Jesus doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. He says, I am the way, that is the only way. I am the truth, that is the only truth, and the life, that is the only life. Would you also observe these concepts are active and dynamic. The way brings to God the truth makes us free. The life produces relationship. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no growing. Oh, observe next. The context indicates the idea of the way predominates. The word way is used three times in verses 4, 5, and 6. So we could say it like this. Jesus is saying, I am the way that reveals the truth about God and gives life to those who believe. Or more literally, I am the way because I am the truth and the life. And finally, would you note, there is one exclusive avenue to salvation. With Christ removed, there is no redemptive truth. There is no everlasting life. There is no way to the Father. Other religious systems offer attempts to bridge the gap between man and God, but Jesus is the only one who has succeeded in bridging that divide. Now, since every word of this astonishing statement challenges the fundamental beliefs of our culture, I want to go through it again In another way, number one, Jesus is the way. Only one way is right, which means every other way is wrong. 
Jesus does not merely show the way, he is himself the way. This has a twofold meaning. He is the way from God to us, and he's also the way from us to God. Incidentally, six different times in the book of Acts, the followers of Jesus are referred to as the members of the way, the way. The way to heaven is not through performance, and it's also not through penance. Some of us think if I just work harder, if I'm just better, if I just do we just think, well, then maybe I'll get there. And others of us, we're just like, we're worms and we're trying to work stuff off because we're doing these acts of penance. Friends, that's not what it's all about. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. If I believe the Bible, I must say that Jesus is the only way. Secondly, Jesus is the truth. That word truth in Scripture is used in two ways. True as contrasted with false and genuine as opposed to fake. Jesus is authentic. He's trustworthy. When we look at Jesus, we come face to face with certainty and reality. Truth is the scarcest commodity in the world today. We hear people say this. That might be true for you. That's not true for me. I have my truth. You have your truth. Researcher George Barna has discovered nearly 75% of Americans do not believe in absolute truth. So here's the sad part about that. Without the clarity and consistency of absolute moral truth, we're reduced to doing what seems right, what feels good, what gives us the most pleasure, what produces the least resistance, what gives us the greatest possible personal fulfillment. By the way, our topic next weekend is truth, the timelessness of truth. So write this down or remember this. It's not mean or bigoted or arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way. Why? Because he's the only way. It would actually be mean and bigoted and narrow-minded not to tell people that Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life. Number three, Jesus is the life. All through the Gospel of John, life describes the principle of spiritual vitality. Just as spiritual death leads to separation from God, life implies communion, relationship with him. We are dead in our sins without him. We become alive when we surrender ourselves to him. John 5:24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed over from death to life. I've been pondering a quote this week from Michael Whitner. I'm put it up on the screen and so we can see it with our eyes as you hear it as well. If our preaching boasts in Jesus, glories in Jesus, and urges all to rest in Jesus, then and only then will pluralism seem laughably absurd. If Jesus is merely a means to an end, a friend who helps us exhale, cope with misfortune, or discover our true selves, well, then other friends and religious techniques might work just as well. But if Jesus is life itself, there is nowhere else to turn. 
Defeating pluralism is as simple as celebrating Jesus. If we faithfully and passionately present the good news of Jesus, religious pluralism will strike our people as obviously implausible. Well, let's turn to some action steps. If you don't know Jesus yet through the new birth, that is your next step. He is the only way. No one comes to the Father except through him. That little word except means that apart from Jesus, there is no way to be saved. If you go back to verse 1, Jesus says, believe in me. That word believe is an imperative. It's a command. It means to rely on, to trust in, to cling to. Jesus is the way that must be followed. He's the truth that must be believed, and he's the life that must be lived. Number two, if you know Jesus already, you and I are commanded, commissioned to tell others about him. And brothers and sisters, We don't have to make Jesus more palatable to people. He is truth, and he can stand up to thorough investigation. Our job is to tell others about him without going quiet, without caving into the culture, or watering down the way to heaven. As someone has said, the problem with watering the gospel down so that others will drink it is that what they end up drinking is not the gospel at all. The exclusivity of Christ is a compassionate and humble doctrine because it keeps people, people from seeking salvation in a place where it cannot be found. Let me give an illustration. Imagine we're living in the midst of a post-nuclear war fallout, and there is only one and only one source of clean, drinkable water in the entire world. All the other water sources Well, they look okay, but they're actually poisoned with radiation. Now, we wouldn't be arrogant to claim there's only one source of clean water because this information would keep people from making a fatal choice of drinking deadly water. Friends, hold up Jesus as the only way to salvation. And when you do, that is not unkind. It is the most loving thing you and I can do. David Platt tells about being in a speech class when he, when he was in college. And when it was his turn, he decided to speak on the Christian faith. At the end of his speech, one classmate became very angry and lashed out. This is what she said. Are you telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'll spend eternity in hell when I die? So picture this. Christian college student suddenly becomes very nervous. He said he broke out into a sweat and he said this, Jane, we're all sinners. We've disobeyed God. We've been separated from him and the only way we can be forgiven is if someone paid the price for our sins and that's what Jesus did because he loves you and he loves every single one of us in the classroom. So in answer to your question, yes, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell when you die. There's a guy who knew what he believed and he was unashamed of the gospel. Well, the response was memorable. Jane bolted over to him after class and exclaimed, I just want you to know that is the most conceited thing I've ever heard anybody say. For you to tell us that if we don't believe like you believe that we're going to spend eternity in damnation, who do you think you are? 
Well, they had several conversations the rest of that semester, and then uh, during summer break, they lost touch with one another. And when the new school year started, this woman named Jane tracked him down. This is what she said. I just want you to know, this summer I found out that Jesus is the only way to God. And I have trusted him to save me. And now I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Friends, the truth that Jesus is the only way should make us bold. And it should also break us. We must hold to this truth. But it should tenderize us. And put tears in our eyes about the fate of the lost Keep sharing the narrow, glorious gospel and don't water it down. Since Jesus is truly the only way, the meanest thing we could do would be to keep it to ourselves. And since Jesus is truly the only way, the most loving thing is to share it with others. The truth of John fourteen six answers three key questions everyone has. How can I be saved? He's the way. How can I be sure? Well, he's the truth. How can I be satisfied? Well, he's the life. Now, contrary to what the leaders of that organization in Maryland declared, I can't even call it a church, Jesus Christ is exclusionary and must remain so. And because of his supremacy over all things, each of us, must face a question today. Here it is. Is Jesus simply prominent in your life or is he preeminent? Many today believe there are many roads up the mountain to get to God. But what if the God at the top of the mountain decided he was going to make his way down the mountain to us? and then bring us up to the top of the mountain to be with him. That's what he did in Jesus. Friends, make sure Jesus is preeminent in your life, not just prominent. Would you bow your head? If you are uncertain whether or not you will go to heaven when you die, if you're uncertain whether your sins are forgiven, Would you cry out to him right now in repentance by saying something like this, God, I am a sinner. I've been living for myself. I've been self-centered, self-focused, and I'm making a mess. God, I don't want to live like that anymore. And I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, that his sacrifice paid the price for all of my sins. I believe that. And I thank you, Jesus, that you rose again from the dead on the third day. But I do more than just believe. I I receive. Jesus, would you apply what you have done to my life? I ask you to come into my life. I want to be born again. Save me from my sins. And help me now to live under your supremacy, your leadership. Help me to surrender fully to you. And Lord, for those of us who have made that decision, help us now. Enable us, break us, change us, whatever you need to do, that we would be done with just sloppy, sentimental uh, living, that we would be all in, surrendered completely to you, Jesus, that you would do your work in and through us. 
use us now for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.